Well, in ancient Greek mythology, uh, there is this story of Troy, the story where the Greeks are trying to capture this uh, city, the city of Troy, and, and for 10 years they are battling trying to capture this city, and they are just making no progress. They're not able to scale the walls, they're not able to break through the gates, and so for 10 years this battle goes on as the Greeks try to capture the city of Troy. And finally, they appear to give up, and they build this great horse, this wooden Trojan horse, and they they hide 30 warriors inside of this horse, and they leave it on the the doorstep of Troy. And then they get in their boats, and they appear to leave in defeat as they start sailing away. And then at night, or well, the, the, the Trojans celebrate and they bring the horse into the city gates. And at night, these warriors sneak out of this wooden horse, open up the gates, and under the disguise of night, the ships have turned around and have come back with all of the Greek warriors. And so now they have open access into the city to sack the city, and they they are victorious through this process. In modern day, there are not Greeks, but there are geeks who are using Trojan horses. These geeks have created these viruses where they appear to look like some sort of of advertisement, something that is appealing, something that is good. Maybe it's an email with click this link to uh, win all this money or click this link to fix your computer or whatever it is. They're, They're trying to advertise something that looks good and you click on this and now your computer is opened up and vulnerable to the geek hackers. This Trojan horse has gotten into your computer and now it can find your financial data, it can lock up your computer, it can do all kinds of different things that are destructive and malicious. And so we've got the Greeks and we've got the geeks who have created these things that appear to look good, but they carry within them something that is dangerous, something that is toxic, something that is malicious. And the end result is not good for those who open up this Trojan horse. But we're not here to talk about Greeks and geeks. We are here to talk about Jesus. And we are, in, we are starting this new series called Stories by Jesus, in which we're going to be looking at several different parables that Jesus tells, specifically in the Gospel of Luke. Looking at these stories that create pictures for us of of who Jesus is, what his mission is, uh, and what the kingdom of God is really about. And so today we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 13. If you want to begin turning there, Luke chapter 13. And we're, we're looking at a very simple and short parable. We've been in Luke since December giving us this context, this picture of of what the mission of Jesus is, why he came, what he came for. And we continue to use that as a lens to, to read through these parables. And so we look at Luke chapter 13, starting in verse 18. Then Jesus asked, What is the kingdom of God like? What shall I compare it to? It's like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his garden. It grew and became a tree, and the birds 
perched in its branches. Again he asked, what shall I compare the kingdom of God to? It's like yeast that a woman took and mixed in about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. So Jesus says, what is the kingdom of God like? Let me compare it to something. Let me give you this simple image of what the kingdom of God is like. He says, it is like a mustard seed. A mustard seed. This tiny little seed that is planted into the garden and grows up into something that has great benefits and great purpose. Or maybe it's like this yeast that is kneaded into bread. Not a small amount of, of flour here. This is enough to feed 150 people once the bread rises and is distributed. This small, seemingly insignificant thing is sewn in, sewn into the flour, sewn into the ground. It becomes something that is significant. This is what the kingdom of God is like. And so these are really short stories, only a sentence or two. Some of the parables are much longer, have, have a lot more imagery, but these ones are left to, to give us something very simple. We don't get a lot of detail, and we don't, we don't get any interpretation. But Jesus is making this comparison here. And so as we look at these parables this morning and, and on into the next several weeks, we need to remember the uniqueness of this thing that's being written, that, that Jesus is, is saying something here not uh, to give you an exact interpretation. Jesus is giving here this, this picture that he wants his listeners to engage in. He wants to draw you in. Can you imagine being in that garden and tilling the soil, and planting in this tiny little seed that you can hardly keep a hold of? Can you imagine yourself in the kitchen, kneading that bread, the smell of that, that dough rising? Can you engage in that? Can you be a part of that? Can you imagine what it is like to be a part of this? It's something that you can see, and touch, and smell, and fill. And so these parables are designed to draw us in, and, and it's not so much for us to have an interpretation of what it is, but, but for us to find ourselves in the story and see what the story does, not necessarily what the story means. Amy Jill Levine says, what makes the parables mysterious or even difficult is that they challenge us to look into the hidden aspects of our own values, of our own lives. And they bring to the surface unasked questions. And they reveal the answers we have always known, but refuse to acknowledge. And so when we talk about this mustard seed, when we talk about this yeast, what are the hidden aspects of this story? What are the things that are hidden within us, things that are hidden within our church, things that need to come to the surface, things that are unasked, things that can be addressed as we look at what does a parable do? Because parables are not simple children's stories. Parables are designed to remind, to provoke, to confront, to refine, to disturb us to disrupt what is going on here 
And so this morning, be prepared to be disrupted as we look at this story of what Jesus is calling us to. For us to understand what this parable does, we have to step back and look at the larger context of what's going on. We've been looking at the context of Luke and what Luke is saying to us, but we're going to go back to verse 18 of this passage and look and see what it is that Jesus is responding to as he's giving us this parable. Let's look at verse 18. Or, uh, sorry, verse 10. On a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues, and a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. Then he put his hands on her, and immediately she straightened up and praised God. All right, so we have this scene that is unfolding here. It is the Sabbath, and we've been talking about these scenes in which Jesus is doing something disruptive on Sabbath, and they are in the synagogue. And so we're reminded of that Luke chapter 4 scene where Jesus gets up and reads from the prophet Isaiah, says, saying, I am bringing good news to the poor. I am setting the captives free. I am healing the crippled. And so here we have this scene again where, where Jesus is in a synagogue on the Sabbath and he's doing things that are disruptive to the norm of what's expected. And here we have this woman that he sees. He sees her and sees the spiritual condition that she is in, not the physical condition. He sees a spiritual condition here, and he calls her up in front of this group of men and says, you are set free from this. How disruptive to our church service this would be. That's not what we do during this time. We don't do that kind of thing here and now. And the story continues. Indignant... Because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. He had set this woman free, disrupted their church service, and he, they are indignant. And they say, there are six days for you to do work. You don't need to be messing with this day. This is not your day to mess up. Do that on one of the other days. There are six days for work. So come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. The Lord answered him, you hypocrites! Doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie your ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water? Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound up for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day? When he said this, all of, his, all of his opponents were humiliated. But the people were delighted with all the wonderful things that he was doing. So we have this set setting of Sabbath. We have this 
seen in the synagogue, and it brings us to mind where we have been for the last several weeks, the last couple of months of looking at what Luke is telling us about Jesus. And it emphasizes this image of Jesus being in the ministry of releasing and freeing people. That Jesus comes not just to preach a good sermon, but, God, but Jesus comes in to set the captives free. And he sees her condition, and he speaks into her condition and brings healing. There's this important word in verse 18 that we read at the very beginning. It is the word, then, or in some translations, therefore. Because of this scene, because of what Jesus has just done in this synagogue on the Sabbath, what he has seen in the religious people calling them out as hypocrites, then he shares this story. Then, therefore, what is the kingdom of God like? It's like the mustard seed. What is the kingdom of God like? It is like yeast and bread. This seemingly inconsequential thing, like healing a woman on the Sabbath day. And so here we link back to the Greeks and the geeks. The things that appear to be good on the outside, this Trojan horse that appears to be something desirable, something good, this Sabbath worship, this religious practice, this synagogue environment, things that that look polished and good on the outside. But Jesus says, you have missed the mark on what you're doing. That your religious practices, they look good on the outside, but there is something malicious and wrong on the inside. For it to be wrong to heal a woman on the Sabbath day is wrong. You have missed the mark. Jesus says, you hypocrites. In Greek culture, the, the word hypocrite was it was, was growing to become a negative term, but in the Greek language, it was really just this, this actor, someone playing a part, someone in a role. It wasn't what was real on the inside. They're just on stage looking a certain parts. And so Jesus says, you hypocrites, you, you're, you're playing and you're acting religious. You're acting the part, but you've missed the mark. You've missed what true religion is all about. You've missed the mission of God and the kingdom of God and what he has come to do. You have chosen this law over love. You have chosen justice over mercy. They have play-acted religion, but they have missed what is really going on there. And so what is the answer to this hypocrisy? What is the answer to to this play acting, this appearing to be something good, but bringing in something bad? Jesus says, therefore, this is what the kingdom of God is like. 
that the, the anecdote to hypocrisy can be that in small things, there can be a huge impact. That it is the small things in our everyday lives, the things that are hidden, the things that are under the surface, the things that, that seem inconsequential, inconse- these are the things that counter hypocrisy. These are the things that are real in our life. He says, therefore, what is the kingdom of God like? What shall I compare it to? It is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in the garden, tilled it into the soil. It became a tree and did great things. This seed becomes a tree that birds are perched in, that birds can rest in. What shall we compare the kingdom of God to, Jesus asks. It's like a woman who is cooking with yeast. She mixes it into 60 pounds of flour until it's worked all the way through the dough, and that dough becomes bread for 150 people. Mustard seed had medicinal purposes. It was something that was, was good and beneficial. Bread could feed the hungry. It was good and beneficial. And so you have these small things that seem like they're unimportant, that are blessing the community around them, that grow into things that are a blessing to others, taking care of others, providing for others. They are things that are hidden. And so where is God found? Where do we see him? Where is the kingdom of God found? It is in these very small but authentic and real places. And so put yourself into this story. What is it that you see about yourself? What small thing do you have that can be surrendered to God, sown into the ground, and you wait and see what happens to that seed. What will God do with that seemingly insignificant thing that you have? It could be things like rocking a baby in the nursery. (laughs) What great impact could that have What do we see in those things? It could be in in just speaking encouragement to someone who needs encouragement. It could be feeding somebody. It could be providing for somebody. It could be forming a relationship. It could be showing up here on Sunday and just bringing a smile to someone. What are these seemingly insignificant things that we have that we can sow in? And so because... Parables are disruptive. We are literally going to disrupt this service today. And we're going to pause and spend some time with communion thinking about what it is that God has given us. What small thing is it? And after we spend some time in communion, we're actually going to spend some time walking. And we're going to get up from our seats 
and we're going to get a mustard seed out of the trays that you saw coming in in the foyer. And we're going to walk into the empty lot next door where we are praying that God will do significant things from our seemingly small and insignificant things that we're planting. And so I want to invite you into this disrupted service to move with us through this time as we go and dig a hole in a dirt lot and think about what it is that we have to offer God. What of our time, what of our talent, what of our treasure do we have to give to him? And then once we drop it in that hole, it is completely out of our control. What will God do with this? How will he move in the life of us as individuals, in the life of us as a church? We're going to use our time at the table to to think about how God moves in seemingly small ways. Going through this season of Advent, we looked at this small baby boy that is given to us, seemingly insignificant, seemingly inconsequential. We see this baby being born. And we see in the story of Mary, and we see in the story of Simeon, and we see in the story of the shepherds, this message of, Jesus, of God doing something in very small things. The insignificance, the marginalized, those on the outskirts and on the fringes. And so we come to the table this morning remembering who Jesus is. And what he comes for, the mission that he comes into, that he calls us to be a part of. And he doesn't call us to do it in any big and grandiose ways. He calls us to do it in small and seemingly insignificant ways. So let's pray together. God, we thank you for the gift of Jesus. And we thank you for the life that he has called us into. God, as we take this bread, I pray that you will remind us and show us what it means to be a part of your kingdom. The kingdom of God is like, and we see Jesus as this perfect example of life in your kingdom. Remind us of that as we take this bread. It's in his name we pray, amen.